1 Samuel chapter 15. Yeah. I want to read part of our narrative today. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture in detail. The subtitle of our message is Environmental Control. We're in this brand new series called Summer Sequels, which really is a series that you choose because what you do is you vote on last year's 2000 and what was last year? 15, 14. I'm giving us another year. I'm just looking forward, you know. I'm a forward thing. Looking at last year's series and voting on your favorite, and then we take those and we out of those series and we we add a sequel to it today it's what we're doing in fact you chose the number one vote getter was fear not i hope you'll be saying that at the end of this message but let me read to you part of the narrative to establish some context for our direction today if you're there chapter 15 verse 1 say amen Here's what Samuel writes. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. Everybody say everything. Totally destroy everything. Say everything. Everything that belongs to them, do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Destroy everything. Everybody say everything. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all of the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away. Verse 7, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all of his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. Hold on a second. God said to destroy everything. Right here we see something in the next statement that shows us some details about the heart of Saul. It says, these they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. Circle that. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. The they really being referenced here is Saul. Saul was unwilling to destroy completely. Saul was unwilling to destroy completely. Saul was unwilling to do what God asked him to do. Now, I want you to understand this. The reason why Saul was unwilling to do what God asked him to do is because beneath the surface of Saul's heart, there was something called fear that was happening. We'll get into that fear in a few moments. But fear caused him not to make faith decisions, but to make fearful decisions. And because he was making fearful decisions, he became unwilling to do what God asked him to do because he was not willing to grab hold of the faith that he had in God. Rather, he was led by the fear that he had in his heart. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. To help complete the illustration, I want to show you something. Everybody take out your phones. Take out your phones with me. We're going to take some selfies. 
everybody like selfies? I got a few yeses. I want to take a selfie with my my son's selfie stick. Everybody throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Boom. Selfie. Oh, let me get the balcony. Boom. Selfie. Oh, so beautiful. How many of you love, you just love, love, you love selfies. You love, if, if you love selfies, you just love them. Okay. A few of you. Let me take a few selfies. I'm going to take a selfie with my bride because right here, here we go. Oh, oh that's not a good one. Here we go. One more time. One more time. One more time. My selfie stick's messing up. Hey. Oh, there it goes. Um, how many of you just hate selfies? You hate selfies. You just hate. Okay. <laughs> Who else hates selfies? Look, now nobody's raising a hand. I'm not raising my hand. If you hate a selfie, raise your hand. Come on, just be honest. You hate selfies. You hate selfies. Tim hates the selfie. All right. <laughs> you hate selfies. Hey, listen. She's not making eye contact. Here we go. She said, come on. Right here we go. Woo, yeah. All right, hold on. We got to do one for, for the people at home. Come on, come on. Right here, right here. Right here. Camera, camera, camera. Hey, you know, we, we how many of you hate selfies? Raise your hand again. <laughs> Nobody wants to make eye contact. Y- you know why we hate selfies? Let me just be honest with you. We hate selfies because the camera can't get far enough away from us not to show our flaws. Y- you know what I'm saying? We don't like selfies because, you know, somebody may see our selfie. My phone just turned upside down. By the way, it's a brand new phone. It's not cooperating. I went to the iPhone 6 Plus. I had the iPhone, the God phone, you know, already five. And um, hold this, baby. Hold that right there. And um, technical difficulty. Y'all just bear with me. You see, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And um, so, so what happened is I went on vacation and my iPhone 6, the first one, I found out that even though it's a God phone, it couldn't walk on water. And, um, but, but hey, hey, listen, here's the deal. We don't like selfies. The reason why we don't like selfies, again, I, I will say because it shows our flaws, you know, and we can't get the camera far enough away for us not to show our flaws. And we don't want people to see our flaws. We don't want people to see our, our devil chin and you know, there's a there's the art of the selfie. In fact, in in there, my phone went again. But but in in you can Google this and you can find out that there's an art to taking a selfie. Like you don't take a selfie too high because it'll show that you're greasy, and um, ladies don't like that. And you don't take a selfie too low because it will show that that um, you, you know you have a double chin and nobody wants that. And so we we control the environment, if you will, of the selfie. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you take one, you want to make sure that your phone cooperates. You want to make sure that the selfie that you take displays to everyone that, um, help me here, babe. Hold my mic. There you go. You you want to make sure that the selfie displays to everyone that, um, you know, you got it going on. 
you want to make sure the background looks good. It's a controlled environment. Why? Because you want people to accept you. You don't want people to reject you. So you take the best selfie you can if you're going to have to take a selfie so that people will see you and accept you and like you. But it says that, that Saul was unwilling to destroy everything that God asked him to do. Saul was unwilling, unwilling, unwilling. Doesn't that sound like us? Sometimes we're unwilling to destroy the things that God asks us to destroy. Like sin, negative thoughts, some relationships that we probably ought not to be in. And so because we do not destroy them, they end up coming back in our present and into our future and wreak havoc upon us. All because we want to be accepted. We don't destroy things that we know we ought to destroy. We ought to do the the command that God has given us. But because we don't want to be rejected, we don't mess with it in hopes that maybe it will get better. And, and, And so we take selfies, even though we don't necessarily want to, but we do it because... We want to be accepted by others. And and in the process of taking the selfie, we make sure that we control the environment in such a way that the backdrop looks good and everybody thinks that we're a success and we're beautiful and our vacation looks great and everything looks good. It looks like she's lost weight in that selfie and we post only the good stuff. Why? Because we want to be accepted. We control the environment. Think about it. We control the environment. But can I ask you a question? Why is it that we do not control the environment that we place our spirits in? Hello? Why is it that we do not control the environment that we place our spirits in? And what ends up happening is we become so controlled by fear that we lose focus of our faith. And when we lose focus of our faith, we're unwilling to destroy the things that God wants us to destroy. And that's why our world, our culture is governed by fear. The fear of this, the fear of that, the fear of the unknown, the fear of death, the fear of problems, the fear of sickness, the fear of losing my job, the fear of keeping my job because I want to lose my job. Not me, not me, not me. It's the fear, the fear, the fear. And so we're relegated to a life, if you will, of passive ineffectiveness. Have you ever noticed that many of the things we fear never happen, but it sucks the strength out of us so that when a battle does come, we lose the battle? That's where this thing is going today. Let me take you to another passage of Scripture that I want to read to you. I started to name this, this sermon today. The fear of selfie. But I want you to see something. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. And let me read to you this text. Is it okay if I not only preach to you today, but I also teach to you today? Because I do not want to be irresponsible with this concept. So I want you to hear some things today. Here's what Isaiah writes, beginning in verse 8. He says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I've chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its father's corners, and I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Now, hold on a second. Verse 9, I want you to look at it again. It says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its father's corners, and I called you. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Aren't you glad that God chose you? touch your neighbor and say you're chosen but then verse 10 look at it it says it begins with the word so I have chosen you you are not rejected so in other words 
Isaiah is telling us that verse 10 is a continuation of the preceding thought. So do not fear, for I am with you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, I have chosen you. And this choice that God has when he's chosen you is not just for Jacob. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's for all Christ followers. He chose you. He chose you. He selected you. He saw something in you and he said, I created that one. And I like what I created. He's mine. She's mine. Always has been mine. Always will be mine. I chose you. And then he says, and do not be dismayed for I will strengthen you. The fact that he's mentioning that we need strength tells us that there's going to be times in our lives when we need to be strengthened. Why? Because fear has a way of sucking the life out of us. Taking the wind out of our sails. Look what he says in verses 12 and 13. It says, though you search for your enemies. In fact, back up to verse 11. You've got to see it. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, for I will help you. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I I want you to see that verse, though, in another translation. The message translation. Let me read that one verse to you. You got to see this. He says, that's right. Because I, your God, have a firm grip on you. And I'm not letting go. I'm telling you, don't panic. Mm, don't panic look at your neighbor and say don't panic I'm telling you don't panic because I'm right here to help you don't panic don't panic you see what Isaiah is doing is he's trying to build in us a frame of reference I'm not trying to be too exegetical with this verse but I am telling you that he's trying to build in you a frame of reference that you must build an environment of control in your life what he's saying is that you must take hold of your faith because your faith will always overcome your fear what he's saying to you is that it does not matter what comes into your life because his ability supersedes anything that comes into your life that's what he's trying to tell you today he's trying to show you that he is more that he is enough that he's your every that he's your all in all so do not fear for I am with you I'm going to it's the frame of reference the environmental control it's the law of environment if you will you see what you need to understand is he's trying to show you that the enemy cannot defeat you if you're in a godly environment The enemy can only defeat you if he can bring you into a worldly environment. So if you'll fall back into a godly environment, put your praise on, realize who God is and say, God, I'm going to praise you because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. Your faith will grow larger and larger and larger and larger and your fear will be shut out because of the love that God has for you. He's your source, he's your strength, he's your help. And the Bible says that he'll reach down with his right hand and grab your right hand and lift you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon the rock to stay because he chose you. Are you grabbing this? In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. Let me read it. 
1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Grab that. But perfect love drives out fear. Who's perfect love? Jesus. God. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Some of your translations actually say, and his perfect love shuts the door on all fear. I love it. His perfect love shuts the door on all fear. You see, I am not at all saying to you that you need to stick your head in the sand and ignore your fear because that is an equation for disaster. What I am saying to you is focus upon Jesus, the one who will enable you, the one who will endure with you, the one who will cause you to rise above the opposition that's in your life, the one that will put one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and cause you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you will not fear. Why? Because he's with you. He's for you. He chose you. Somebody help me preach in this place can can, can I give you a side note can I give you a side note we'll give you a side note if you want to overcome fear you've got to get the facts straight let me help you with that if you want to overcome fear you've got to take the facts of your life and line them up with the truth of his word because Jesus says this in John chapter 8 verse 32 he says they that know the truth they shall be set free it doesn't say that they who hear the truth shall be set free it doesn't say they who come to church on occasion shall be set free it doesn't say they who watch church on the i campus at epicenter who's sitting at home watching the tv saying hey i'm at church it doesn't say you will be set free through that process it says they that know the truth the truth shall set you free there is this this definition of knowledge and intimacy that jesus is talking about you see, the lies in your life, fear is, is lies, by the way. And the only way to overcome lies is to have a crash course with truth. When lies collide with truth, the truth always prevails. Here's what you need to understand. You will not overcome the lies or the fear in your life by power encounters. People want to say the power encounters will get rid of the difficulties in your life. The power encounters like, in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. Those power encounters will not get rid of the lies or the fears in your life. The truth encounters get rid of the fears in your life. The truth encounters. You see, the more you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know the truth of his word, if you know the truth of his way, if you know the truth of his joy, if you know the truth of his peace, if you know the truth of his encouragement, if you know the truth of his love, if you know the truth of his grace, if you know the truth of his peace, if you know the truth of his forgiveness, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. 
Listen, let me be more specific. So many times we, we want to get into the presence of God and just for a moment, thinking that the presence of God will bring about the truth long enough to destroy us. But let me tell you something. You can't get into the presence of God on, a, on an occasion, every now and then. The Bible says that God wants to inhabit the praises of his people. That means that God wants to reside with you and hang out with you, not a weekly visitation. You see, the presence of God, we think, reveals the promise of God. And it does. But so many times we're disappointed if the presence of God doesn't reveal the promise of God. But sometimes the presence of God is not there to reveal the promise of God. The presence of God is there to reveal the perspective of God. Meaning that you may come into church with a backache. You get into the presence of God and you think you're supposed to leave church without the backache. That can happen. Yes, it does. But sometimes God doesn't come in and reveal his promise without first revealing his perspective. You see, God wants you to live with the backache as a person of faith, even though you still feel the pain. Do you hear me? So he gives you a perspective, a godly perspective as to how to live in a faith-filled environment, even when fear is all around you. But the problem is we have trouble controlling our environment because we allow others to control our environment. We allow others, how they define us, to control our environment because we want to be accepted. And because we want to be accepted, we are more worried about what others say about us as opposed to living the declarations that God has spoken over us. Hello? And it's all because of the fear of rejection. You see, Saul feared rejection. We all want to be accepted. And in our process and in our hope of being accepted, we end up compromising in ways that causes us to miss out on what God has predestined for us. Why? Because we have placed the fear of man over the reverence of God. Mm. So Saul, 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 he was unwilling to destroy everything, even though God had commanded him to destroy everything. Why? Because he was fighting with this fear of rejection. What are the people going to think if I, if I do all of that? Because, see, I can use this stuff to, to show that my strength is even greater. So, so, so he has this inner turmoil, this conflict. How many of you know when you try to please people because you want their acceptance, you, don't, you fear rejection, that sometimes you have this inner turmoil happening? Let me be honest with you. Can I be transparent? I can come into this place and preach with boldness and with zeal. Place God on the throne, the glory of God. Live a faith-filled life and it will squelch the fear in your life. Glory to God. But at the same time, while I'm preaching a message with boldness and with zeal that God has given me, I'm watching you to see your response. And if you're on the edge of your seat, then I know you're in it. If you're taking notes, then you're going to heaven and I know you're in it. If I see you nodding your head, I, I know you're in it. If, I, if you're shouting back at me and you're giving me some feedback and you're waving to God and you're saying, come on, I know you're in it. But if I don't hear that and I don't see that, I begin to think that maybe what I'm giving to you is not good. 
insecurities begin to build up with inside of me. Maybe I miss God today. Maybe this is not what I thought it was. Maybe they don't need it. And so I'll go home at the end of service and at the end of the day, I'll look on our social media pages just to see if there's any chatter about the message, just to see if anyone had God speak to them through the message. And if I don't see any chatter, all of a sudden insecurities really building in. Maybe God, I missed it. Maybe this message was for me and not for them. Maybe I should have just preached at home to myself. But the truth is, I'm not the only one that feels that way. All of you in some area, you have insecurities that acquiesce with you, that stream into your life and fears that begin to, you wonder what if, how, when, why, what? Because we forget about the who. So God convicted me on something a few years ago and I wrote it down when he convicted me and I try to live my life by it. And I can tell you it's very hard, but I think you need to hear it. God said to me, You've got to stop living your life based upon the assessment that others have placed upon you and start living your life based upon the acceptance that I've already given you. Let me say that again. You've got to stop living your life based upon the assessment that others have placed upon you and start living your life based upon the acceptance that God has already given you. You see, the fear that you feel is usually the result of the lie that you believe. Let me take you back to our narrative. Verses 1 through 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 15, God puts this plan together for Saul, the first king of Israel, the anointed one. He says, I want you to follow this plan. I want you to kill everybody, the king, the kids, the, 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 the farm, everything. It's got to be gone. It's got to be killed. But you, you need to understand, this was not a war of conquest. Generally, during that day and age, kings would take over lands and take the possessions of the lands for themselves. This is not what God had commanded. This was not a war of conquest for Saul to build his personal wealth so that all the world knew how powerful that he was. This was a war of justice that God was trying to exact upon the people of Amalekite because why? They were vicious enemies to the people of Israel, constantly attacking them. So the king of Amalek, Agag, should have died. The best of the cattle should have died. But what we see and what we hear in verse 9 is that Saul was unwilling to destroy everything that God told him to destroy because of fear. Because of the fear of rejection. I'll show you this. Look at verse 10 and 11. Let me read this to you. Verse 10 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel's the prophet the land. He said this, God said, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Look at it again. It says, I regret that I have made Saul the king. In one way, I love this verse. In another way, I think it's one of the most sad verses in all of scripture he says I regret how many of you would want God to say I regret that I created I regret that I have made Saul the king but it also shows us the softness of the heart of God because God's heart is grieved over Saul's actions you see why because not necessarily because of what Saul did we'll get into that in a few minutes but because Saul feared man more than he revered God because Saul was, 
was hanging on to what people thought about him and trying to build a name for himself as opposed to walking in the direction that God had established for him to walk in. In fact, let me show you something else. Look at verse 12. We're going to rifle through some of these verses. Verse 12 says this. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up. He goes to meet Saul to give Saul this word that he's just received from God. But he was told this, that Saul has gone down to Carmel. Now, don't read any further, but leave the verse up. Saul has gathered all of his people, his soldiers, and he's gone down to Carmel. Saul has gone to Carmel because Carmel is the place that Saul is throwing a party. It's the victory party. It's this big throw down. Woo! Hey, look at me. Look at the rest of this verse. There he was, has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Leave that verse up. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. In other words, he got there with all of his people and he said, I want everybody to know how great I am. I want everybody to accept me. I do not want to be rejected and I want the world to know how good of a king I am. So let's build a monument in honor of me. Bring all those rocks. Bring the big rocks and we'll establish a foundation. Bring the medium-sized rocks and we'll put them on top of that. Bring the small rocks and we'll put them on top of that. Move that rock. Move that rock. Move. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now that we have all of those rocks in place, let's take a selfie. Because I want everybody to accept me. I want everybody to, to, to love me. I want everybody to know who I am. Bring that plaque over here and place that plaque at the bottom of that monument. And the plaque comes in and it says... Saul rocks. And the band's over at the side playing, We will, we will rock you. Never mind. So all of this is happening. All of this is happening. It sounds okay. It sounds okay. But then look at the rest of the verse. It says, And there he left and went from there and he turned and he's gone down to Gilgal. You would almost jump over the rest of that verse and go right into verse 13 if you didn't know the history of Gilgal. But let me tell you the history of Gilgal. You see, Carmel is the place that, that Saul went to throw a party for himself. Hey, look at me. I'm taking a selfie. I want you to know I'm successful. But Gilgal is the place that you go to offer sacrifice to God for a victory that he's given you. Some of you are saying, well, that's cool. Now he's gone to offer God praise well didn't he get that out of order he built a monument for himself before he ever pointed to God and look what happens look at the next verse verse 13 says when Samuel reached him Saul said the Lord bless you I have carried out the Lord's instructions and then I think it gets a little comical but Samuel said then what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears bye Bye. What is the lowing? Moo. That was horrible. What is the lowing of the cattle that I hear? What 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 is that? What 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 is that? What what is that? Saul, if you've carried out the orders of God, if you did everything, if you got rid of if you destroyed everything, why is it that I'm hearing some bah? <laughs> why? Why am I seeing this? Why am I hearing this? Why? Why, why Saul? Why? But, but can I tell you something? This verse describes us. You see, what Samuel is saying to Saul is, Samuel, you know, you say that you've carried out everything that God told you to do, but all I see is disobedience all around you. Huh. 
we come to church praising God. Woo! How great is our God. I want more of you, God. There's a fire down. We sing. Show me your glory. God, give it to us. Show it to us. But then we go home and all around us is the evidence of disobedience. Somebody said in the back, preach it. I'm going to. You chose this, by the way. Look at the next verse. Saul begins to blame shift. Saul answered, oh, 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 Samuel. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. He said, enough, Samuel. Enough, enough, Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul said, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Although you saw yourself one time as nothing, as meaningless, as nothing. Didn't God choose you one time? Didn't he establish you now as the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. What he's saying to him is, Saul, at one time you were nothing. You, you, didn't, you, you, you just felt like you didn't have anything to offer. And everything that you've received in life, isn't it a direct result of God's hand in your life? Well, then why didn't you do what he asked you to do? So, look, he says, and then he sent you on a mission saying, go and and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. This is verse 18. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Oh, wow. Hold on a second. He gave you a mission, but you didn't do the mission. Now you're trying to act like, well, 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 well you see, you had a fear. You, you had a, a, a desire to be approved. You, you have approval addiction, Saul. You wanted everybody to like you, so you were so busy building a name for yourself and building a monument in Caramel so that people would see how good Saul is, that Saul rocks. You were so concerned with people accepting you so that you would not be rejected, that you rejected the ways of the Lord. Even though he commanded you, even though everything that you have in life is a direct result of his hand, you were not obedient because you feared man more than you revered God. Saul. He had approval addiction. We have sometimes approval addiction. If we can just be fast enough, if we're faster than him, we'll be noticed. If we're smarter than her, we'll be noticed. If we have enough education, they'll like me. If we have enough charisma, they'll like me. If we have enough money, they'll, they'll like me. So, so we have all of this need for approval, and that addiction causes us to not point to God, but to point to ourselves. You see, if you have an approval addiction, you'll take the attention off of God and place it on yourself. You'll build a monument at Carmel when God wanted you to be at Gilgal. Who, good Lord, have mercy. Verses 19 through 23, let me read it to you. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? Why did you do this? God told you that this war was to exact justice, not to, not to build up wealth. Why did you do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I, I went on a mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and I brought back Agag, their king, and, and, and the soldiers. They, they're the ones that took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He's trying to make it right. You know how we do that. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Look what it says in verse 23, for for rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Oh my goodness. But then the very next verse, verse 24, is the verse that I think we can all relate to. I think it's the verse that kind of puts us on a level playing field with Saul. Because generally speaking, if you have an approval addiction, you build up this starvation for acceptance. And when you build up starvation for acceptance, you generally lose first the thing that was most important to you. Let me say that again. When you have approval addiction, we generally build up this starvation for acceptance. I want to be liked. I want to be liked. I want to be liked. And so we cater so much to that as opposed to what God created us for that we end up losing the thing that we value most. In fact, look what happens in verse 24. Verse 24 says this, and it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, you're right, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. He said, I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Some of your translations say, I was afraid of the people. So I gave in to them. I was afraid of what they would think of me. I, I was afraid they'd think me, I, I was weak. I was afraid. You see, they had given an assessment of me and I liked that assessment. So I was living according to their opinion of me rather than God's declaration over me. I was following what they thought I should do as opposed to what God told me to do. I was living according to their plan as opposed to God's plan. You see, oh, is anybody listening to me? I was afraid, I was afraid, I was afraid, I was so afraid of the men that I gave in to them. I was so afraid that I gave in to them. I was so afraid I gave in to them. I was so afraid I gave in to them. I gave in to that compromising situation. I gave in to just one more drink. I gave in and began to date somebody that I knew that I shouldn't date. And now I'm paying the price for it. I gave in and made one more unethical decision. I gave in and did something I shouldn't have done. I gave in, I gave in, I gave in, I gave in. Listen, the Bible has a name for this. It's called the fear of man. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says this. It says, the fear of man is a trap, but whoever trusts in God shall be safe. The fear of man is a trap, Tim, but whoever trusts in God shall be safe. You see, the fear of rejection is a trap. Having to be accepted, I need to be accepted, it's a trap. But the Bible says that whoever trusts in God shall be safe. You see, I think you need to understand what the biblical meaning of fear is in Proverbs chapter 29. When it says fear man, fear in a biblical sense means to place in reverence or in awe. That's how you're supposed to treat God, to place him in reverence or in awe. But what Proverbs is saying is that we've replaced God with man. And now you've replaced man or you've placed man on the throne and now you're living according to his plan, according to his assessment, according to his ways because his opinion matters most. 
And when you do this, you, you sacrifice your morals, you change your priorities, you begin to say things like, well, I have to be accepted. And so if I have to be accepted, then maybe I need to make one more unethical decision in my business so that my business will be successful like his business. Maybe I need to take that drink because he's taking the drink and I want him to approve of me. So we give in to that peer pressure. Oh, maybe if I look like she does or like he does, maybe if I have their wardrobe, I'll be successful. So we take our credit cards and we try them up and the debt is out of the roof because we've got to look like they look and then we take all kinds of selfies and we post those selfies on our Facebook wall in hopes that everybody sees how beautiful and how how great we are and how wonderful our vacation is so that they'll accept us and then we run the rat race of going to their Facebook and posting comments on their wall in hopes that they post comments on our wall after all we have to have more likes than they have And it all quiet in God's house. But the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You see, that snare causes us at times. It's a, it's a two-fold snare. It's a snare that causes us not to, 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 to confront the issues because we fear rejection. It's a snare that causes us to live cautiously. Because we've been hurt before, so I'm not going to be hurt again. And we keep everyone at arm's distance. Why is it that we don't tell people about Jesus? Because we fear rejection. Why is it that we don't confront the people who are hurting us? It's because we fear rejection. Saul was fearing rejection. He feared what the men thought of him. He feared what the people thought of him. And therefore, because he feared them more than he revered God, he did what he knew that he was not supposed to do. He was unwilling to do what God asked him to do. Remember it says in verse 11 that it grieved the heart of God. Well, last year when I was studying this, it was, it was the first time that, that I saw it this way. Let me show you something in verse 23. Verse 23, I, I jumped over this on purpose, but, but it says, For rebellion is like the sin of divination. For rebellion. For rebellion and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has rejected you as king for rebellion you need to circle that for rebellion for rebellion then it hit me God was calling Saul's actions rebellious not because of what he did but because of whose authority he rejected in doing it then it hit me even more sin it's not wicked because of what we do. It's wicked because of whose authority we reject in our pursuit of acceptance. I, I want you to grab that. Sin is not wicked because of what we do. It's wicked because of whose authority we reject in our pursuit of acceptance. Saul wanted to be accepted, but Saul still wanted to be king. Saul wanted to do what the men wanted him to do and do a little bit of what God wanted him to do. But then he would say, but still bless me, God. Bless me as the king. And God said, no, that's rebellion. So, so can I ask you a question? Could it be rebellion when we live our lives according to what others have said about us as opposed to how God sees us? Could it be rebellion? Certainly we know it's rebellion if we're not doing what God has asked us to do. 
But if we allow a person to say something about us like you'll never be, you always will be, it's never going to change, you will never change, you're too small, too fat, too ugly, too tall, whatever it is, and you live according to that rather than how God sees you, then it is rebellion. Holy moly. It's rebellion. You see, God's not going to bless the fake you. Hear me out. God cannot bless the fake you. You cannot ignore the commands of God and ask God to bless you because God calls that rebellion. Hello? It is certainly quiet in here. You see, there's only one fear that we should have, and it's the fear of God. Fearing God does not mean we're terrified of God. Fearing God means that we love the things that God loves. We hate the things that God hates. The things that are important to God are important to us. The things that are not important to God are not important to us. Fearing God means that we're so terrified of rejecting God's commands because it will cause us to be outside of his protection. Fearing God, fearing God. I I, I gotta move. I've got a lot more to say, but, but I know I need to begin to wind this thing down. But I want you to know something. What I have found out as a pastor is that fear will post up outside of every doorway to destiny. It will. You know why? The enemy will post up outside of every doorway to destiny. And the reason for that is because he doesn't want you to enter to your destiny. And if he can overcome you with fear, then he can keep you out of your destiny. So if you don't control your environment with faith, you will not enter your destiny because the fear will keep you out. Amen. Hello. I, I want to show you something. I, I think if, if there's one way that I can bring all of this home, it's to take you back to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 41, verse 9 and 10. You see, if you want to be able to live the life that God called you to live, you got to live these verses. Because, you see, verses 8 and 9 establish the environment. Verses 10 and 11 establish the reward. So he says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the Father's corners, and I called to you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Go to the next verse. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Go to the next verse. And all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you, those who have said things over you, you won't even have to worry about them. They will be as nothing and perish. Go back. Go back to verse 9 and 10. I want you to see this. I want this to resonate with your spirit. Let it start getting there. I I took you from the ends of the earth, from the Father's corners. I I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. I have chosen you. I saw you and I liked what I created. You're mine. You've always been mine. You always will be mine. So you can get out of that old vision mindset that you're in. This is not American Idol. This is me. This is your God. I've chosen in you. You don't have to have the approval of others because I've already approved you. I've already sent my son to die on a cross for you so that you would know his grace, so that you would know his mercy, so that you would know my love, so that you would know my forgiveness.